Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in all ways. Now, let's get started. All right, boys, I push record. Here we go. And so I am at the Christus Human Performance Center. Is that, did I get it right? Yes. And Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, you sure did. All right, so first of all, I know I've had you on the show before. You're the director. This is your baby. This is your, your kingdom. So tell the listener out there kind of why this facility exists. What happens here? Well, the Christus Human Performance Center is located in actually the Christus Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Institute. And the reason why we created this was to make sure that the journey through Christus will always continue. In other words, the journey never ends when you become associated with us. So for example, if somebody comes into our facility, has a procedure done with one of our doctors, and uh, then goes through physical therapy until their insurance is up, up or they're completed, well, then they, ask the, they always ask the question, where do you go from here? And we have answered that question by bringing in the Christus Human Performance Center, because after that, you've got to move on to strength and conditioning. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete, general population, or a patient who is just trying to recover from basically getting their structural balance back. So that is why we created the Human Performance Center is to make the journey keep going. Got it. All right. And before we get started, let's talk, let's do a little, little bit of introductions. All this stuff will be in the show notes. So people, if you want to check out who these guys are after the show to see their credentials and understand why I have reached out to them to help educate me on some of this health, longevity, and just overall wellness, you'll, you'll get it. But Taylor, who are you, dude? Why are you here? So I'm Taylor Knox. Um, I'm one of the strength and conditioning coaches here at the Christus Human Performance Center. Uh, I've been here since we opened uh, back in mid-August of 2021. Um, we have one more uh, full-time coach on staff. His name is Ryan Dupre. He's our head strength and conditioning coach. Uh, he's also from Louisiana. Uh, I'm from Louisiana too. I grew up there um, for the first 28 years of my life. Uh, and then this job uh, brought me to Tyler, Texas. And, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a great journey ever since I started. Kind of looks like if uh, Leonidas had a baby, that's that's who you'd be, Taylor. He just kind of makes all the rest of us feel bad about ourselves. He's all smooth and only hairy where he wants to be hairy and perfectly. I mean, yes, I mean, just you're 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 a beautiful specimen. And that's why I brought him. You know, I was just I just I, I looked across the gym floor and like, Brian, who is that? He said, "That's Taylor." I said, "Can Taylor join us?" And so, so welcome, dude. No, no, ser seriously, glad to have you, brother. Ross, dude, I have known you for years. What are you up to now? Why are you at the table? All right. So uh, I am the regional general manager for Christus Health and Fitness. Came here back in 2016. Uh, Brian had just moved back in town and I, uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Just came over, got on board with Christus and it, it's been great. Well, and I'm going to go ahead and say it because you want legendary trainer around here, trainer of the year, multiple times. Just, I mean, a dude that takes it seriously, understands health and wellness from not only a professional standpoint, but just what I know about you is 
a curious guy trying to figure out how to get better all the time. And, you know, one of the most respected guys in fitness for the, at least the little over 20 years I've been here. I mean, I've only known you in this, in this realm. So really good to have you on the show today. So Brian, it's, it's kind of cool that you talked about how this is part of the journey out of rehab and what people look at. We talked about this the last time we had you on the show. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about the Christus Human Performance Center is that this is just where, you know, excuse the political incorrectness, but old people come for rehab or something like that. They broke a hip and so they come to get rehab. That is not the case. And so one of the things we talked about offline before we even started today's show is the importance of that youth training and and, and these young people. And I, and I told you, you know, man, I said, I'm with you because one of the things, guys, that I've noticed is that a lot of people that after a certain age, and there's some ridiculous number I heard just this past couple of weeks ago, I think it was like less than 10%, and you guys may know the actual statistics, less than 10% of all adults over the age of, say, 40 have ever run a sprint since like they're, you know, since they're like 16 or 17. It was ridiculous. It's some goofy number like that, that essentially adults do not sprint. And then I told you, Brian, I don't think that adults lift heavy weights over their head. And all of this starts at a young age. We, we start out teaching young people through physical education, which I know, Brian, you've got some thoughts on where the turns that that's taken. And as they, as they go through their health journey, starting at a young age, youth sports, in school, then something happens. And I think the message that I want to get to the audience and to anybody who will listen to me is that this isn't just a luxury, but a necessity for living longer, living healthier, to keep your, to, for bone density uh, and this sort of thing. So let's just take it, whichever one of you wants to start. And I guess I'll start with you, Taylor. Like, talk to me about some of the the key components of a, a strong youth program. Like if I'm a young kid and I'm playing baseball and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I may have it wrong, but I know when I was a kid, I just took for granted that I would recover quickly. My body would pretty much endure whatever I put it through and there would be no ramifications. And so if I'm, if I'm a dad and I say, Taylor, I want my kid strong. I want him jacked. He's a baseball player. I want him going yard. He's batting third. I want him batting fourth. This is, you know, and so therefore just bulk him up, show him how to get stronger. That's all I care about. What do you tell that dad? What is the best track for that kid to have good health, good, good balance, and the, the whole package that he can take into old age? Where do we start? Yeah. So one of the things that I always like to tell people um, is well, one of the things I, I like to do with any parent that comes in with those questions is first educate them. You know, why, why they want to get their kid stronger, faster, bigger, whatever it may be. Um, and then I'll explain to them how, we're, how we go about doing that. Right. Um, I think it's, it's very important for parents to be educated early on. Um, especially if their kid is, you know, seven, eight years old, we do, we do start training kids here at the Chris Assume performance center, uh, around eight years of age and, and up. Um, and I think that that's a pretty good age to start, uh, kids, uh, on an exercise program, give them a good foundation of, uh, of strength, um, and just teaching them basic movement patterns, such as squatting properly, doing a proper push-up, doing a proper lunge, stuff like that. Um, but to kind of go um, in a different direction, um, one of the reasons that I'm in the position I'm in right now is because when I was growing up, we had, I grew up and went to an elementary school that had a really good physical education program. 
Like I remember being selected in fifth grade for what we call, a, what we, what we had called a fitness team. And I remember when my PE coach came up to me and told me, Hey, congratulations, you made the fitness team. And I'm like, okay, that's great. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> so, um, so basically what they did w with that program is they, they introduced us to track and field events when we were in elementary school. And we used to do, I mean, basically everything during PE, you know, they would, they would introduce us to, you know, different types of jump roping, um, different types of, um, you know, change of direction drill, stuff like that. We would, we would play literally every single sport under the sun, but it kept me active. It kept me, um, motivated to, uh, get better at my sports that I was playing. I played basketball and baseball growing up and it, it definitely made me a better athlete because I, I started to see the importance of, um, staying active and, and staying, um, staying strong, staying fast. Um, and ever since then, you know, I've just always had a passion for getting stronger, becoming faster and helping people along the way do that as well. Um, you know, I've, found out about strength and conditioning when I was in college. And it's always been my mission to, uh, first of all, educate people, no matter who comes my way. Um, but I definitely think that educating parents, um, and then educating the kid as well, too. I always try to make sure that whoever I'm training, whether it be an eight year old or an 18 year old, I always try to educate them on why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, because there's always has to be a rhyme and reason in any type of training program that you, you take someone through. If there's not a rhyme or reason, if, if I can't give a person, if I can't give a parent or if I can't give a, ch uh, a kid that I'm training a reason behind every single exercise that I take them through, then there's no reason to have that in their training program. So I'm always, I'm always educating not only the parents, but the kids as well. So one of the things, Brian, that you mentioned before we got on air was that Physical education in schools has taken a turn that you don't, that you kind of, it's kind of disappointing. And it's, it's interesting you say that because I had somebody on the podcast a while back and we were talking about what we, you and I mentioned back during the George Herbert Walker Bush days when he made Arnold Schwarzenegger, like the ambassador for health and or whatever, national advisor for health and wellness, something like that. Right. I don't even know if we have that anymore, but I remember that was kind of cool. You had freaking the Terminator as kind of the picture of American health. And we used to think about, and we had jump rope for heart whenever I was a kid. I remember jump rope for heart. Great program. Right. Remember that? And so I don't even know if they do that anymore. And I, was, I had a guest on the show. I was like, do they even do that anymore? And he said, I think they do, but I'm not sure. So what have you seen in the evolution of physical education and what's going well, what's going wrong? And what do we do to, again, start back with just the principles of good health at a young age? Well, the fact is, is when it comes to these PE classes in both public school and private schools, I'm not saying for one moment in time, though, that anyone is at fault. The fact is, though, is that there have, just, there have been different priorities that have been put on schools over the last couple of decades. My recommendation would be at this point is that it just needs to become part of the core curriculum in the school structure nowadays, where all kids uh, starting in elementary school and maneuvering their way up to high school, it just needs to become part of the core curriculum. And not only does it need to be an educational prospect, it needs to be something that makes these kids feel great about themselves. Taylor said it perfectly that it just made him feel like he was accomplishing something. In my opinion, out of all my years as a strength coach, one of the things that I always told my younger clients is I always wanted to give them a source of achievement. And if we can give them that through physical activity um, in um, these schools these days, I really truly believe that uh, there could be a huge turn. 
But in elementary school, it needs to be all about having fun. Get them out there playing tag. Get them out there playing dodgeball, kickball. Let them have some wonderful experiences. And like uh, Taylor said a moment ago, let them experience like track and field events. Uh, it's a great way to get started. Just let them be free and let them have a lot of fun. Then when they get into middle middle school, you can make it a little bit more competitive and start teaching them the motor behavior patterns as well as the biomechanics of what they're capable of when it comes to running and uh, basic uh, body weight training. But then in high school, and I'm not so much talking about the athletes here. The athletes are taken care of in high school. I'm talking about the general students. Sometimes in high school, you're seeing these teachers nowadays that are moonlighting as gym teachers that are taking them out to a track and just letting them walk around for a half hour. You see, there's only so much you're going to get done with that. Getting fresh air is a great thing. Getting them out to have uh, social discussions with all of their friends is a great thing. And getting them to walk around is great. Walking is a great benefit. There's a great benefit to that. But it just kind of seems like, though, these kids are going to feel that it's not being taken very seriously. And these kids are going to feel that. So if there is a way to kind of give them a curriculum from a professional to get these younger kids feeling the same way that athletes do, then you're going to see a big change. Yeah, that's one of the things too that's kind of crazy is that you mentioned it, the athletes are taken care of. The training programs for athletes, like this center that I know you guys have a lot of the high school athletes and collegiate athletes from around the, the entire East Texas region that this place touches. Man, we didn't have that when I was growing up. I mean, it was just a typical kind of strength and conditioning and it was very basic. We didn't we didn't talk I mean, knee, the knees over ties, uh, toes, you know, guy, Ben's, Ben's programs and, and things like that did not exist whenever I was coming up. It was just be strong and try to be fast. But one of the things that I think is happening now is like for the athletes, they are getting dialed in on how to do strength and conditioning in a way that is just so superior to anything that I ever experienced. But then on the other end with physical education, there's nothing. It's literally become a void. And so you guys, whichever one of you wants to jump in on this. So now it's fast forward to you're an adult and you haven't sprinted. You haven't lifted heavy weights. And whenever, if, if, unless you were an athlete, no one ever told you the value of it when you're a kid. So why as an adult, would you all of a sudden decide to get on a balance board to start working your core? So Ross, as someone who has worked with client after client after client, talk about just kind of that, that individual that walks in here that can't do any of the things for the most part, that they could do as a kid. And now, and you know that doing the things that they did as a kid is what kept them young then and what will keep them, you know, living longer. Where do you start with that person? What do they need to be keyed in on? Um, so I'm pretty big on life movements, uh, meaning do the things that you mimic the things that you do in everyday life. A lot of people get hurt from tripping and falling or, <clears throat> excuse me, I hear it all the time. Uh, I hurt my shoulder. I reached around. That's the story for another day. Brian um, hurt my shoulder. I reached to, to the back seat to grab a bag of groceries and, and now my shoulder hurts. Or, you know, it's the little things that they don't even think about. So uh, mimic those life movements, get in the gym, don't be afraid to lift weights. Um, and I'm also really big on the other things. So uh, stretching, stability, uh, not just your primary muscle groups. Um, and to touch on what Brian uh, was laughing about falling down the stairs. This Ryan? is true. This is true. <laughs> That's never happened to anyone at this table. What are you talking about, Ross? <laughs> well, the fact is, though, is that mine was a freak accident. And uh, yes, and of course, my knee is what suffered from it. But uh, luckily, though, the recovery aspect of it, though, and actually, if I can jump in on this, actually, 
I did have a uh, an accident about uh, 12 weeks ago. Um, I was walking down the stairs and I just had a misstep and I fell and I did rupture my quadriceps tendon, but it was uh, just as much an accident as a car accident. The fact is though, is that it was non-controllable. It had nothing to do with my physical capability. It was just an accident. But the fact of the matter is though, is it was told to me that if it hadn't have been for how strong my uh, vastus medialis uh, was, my quadriceps strength, as well as my hamstring strength and my overall ability, none of my other tendons, like the ACL, the PCL, and uh, the, um, I don't know if I'm repeating myself here, the ACL, nothing else was affected. Only one tendon, which actually was trying to slow me down and just got overextended. That is what, that was the only thing in my knee that was, um, that had a problem. But the fact is though, is that I am true belief that if it hadn't have been for how, for how I lift weights, for how I condition and how uh, well I try to take care of myself, I really think the problem could have been much, much worse. So talking about the longevity concept of it, and now I'm at week 12 and I'm already off crutches. I'm walking around. I'm already getting back up and downstairs again. I'm getting in and out of my car. And I give so much of that to strength training, to conditioning, and just overall wellness. Well, and okay, so let's take that for a minute because I, I know some of the inside baseball on this and I want you guys to talk about this. For that listener out there that is 50-55 and they have not been doing any strength resistance training. They they have a, a poor VO2 max, so they're not doing the cardio training they need to do. And that same person with poor bone density, poor lean body mass, they take that fall. First of all, what are the chances of them recovering in the time frame you did? Now you're younger, but nevertheless, just talk about kind of what the actuarials say that that 65 year old out of shape, what happens to them when they take that exact same fall? Taylor? Yeah. Like, uh, like, like you just touched on, I think it, it, it's all dependent on, um, what we like to call training age. Um, whenever we get someone in here, we always take into consideration biological age, which is the actual age that you are, uh, but training age as well. You know, what are your actual, you know, how, how long have you been training or how long have you been not been training? Um, so we always take that into consideration. Um, and it, this, this brings up, um, the unique assessments that we do here at the Christmas Human Performance Center, and that is uh, what we call our structural balance assessment. So what we do before we take um, on any client here, the first thing that we do is take them through our structural balance assessment. Structural balance assessment gives us a really good idea of um, what people's needs and weaknesses are, what uh, deficiencies they have, what kind of uh, movement faults they may have. And that's going to tell us a lot about um, you know, what, what they may be susceptible. And what does that look like, Taylor? What am I doing whenever you do that? So just give you an example of one of the tests that we do, like, for instance, like the first thing we do is we'll measure your, uh, hamstring range of motion. Um, Brian always harps on, and I always try to make sure, especially my athletes, um, the high school athletes that I train, since they're sitting so much throughout the day, it's very easy for their hips and their hamstrings to become very, very tight. Right. Um, the hamstrings are going to, if, if the hamstrings are really, really tight, they're going to pull the hips into what we call a posterior pelvic tilt. Now, when the hamstrings uh, pull the hips into a posterior pelvic tilt, then the lower back is uh, pulled more into flexion, which is not something that we want. Um, and so when it's pulled more into flexion like that, um, certain motor patterns or certain movement patterns that we do in the gym a lot, like, like a hip hinge pattern, like a deadlift variation, um, it's going to be a lot harder for someone to keep their back in more of an extended or even neutral position. 
Um, so, and that's, and, and that could lead to, you know, a, a lot of back pain down the road too. So that's, uh, just one of the, one of the tests that we, we do at all levels of our structural balance assessment. Um, and real and quick, Tyler, not yeah. to cut you off, but when you're, you're prompting some thoughts. So one of the things that I hear all the time and, and I've, I've incorporated in my workouts because of this is that my posterior chain and deadlifts everyone and, and who, I mean, I'm telling you the, the listener out there, listener, I'm asking you for real. I want you to just, just. When was the last time you did a deadlift? I guarantee you 80% of you are better or like, you know, Jason, I, don't, I haven't done a deadlift. I don't know if I've ever done a deadlift, but yet it is. And that's what's so weird. That's why I love having you guys in this room, because I can almost guarantee you that some of the primary lifts and movements that you guys are going to suggest and talk about are things that most of this audience and audience, I'm one of you until I started really diving into this stuff are not doing right. So if you don't mind, mm -hmm. go a little deeper on the the deadlifts what are we working why is the posterior chain why is that important why why especially as i get older why because that doesn't make sense because i'm thinking wait a minute deadlifts i did that whenever i was training for college football why at 60 years old would i be doing deadlifts that makes no sense and then some of you folks that you follow like lane norton and peter atia and ben greenfield mm -hmm. you see these guys constantly crushing deadlifts why taylor well, one of the reasons why, I mean, Lane Nord, for example, he's a competitive power lifter. He's an elite power lifter. Um, I actually met him back in uh, 2015 when I was- Dude's an animal. Yeah, love Lane. Love, uh, yeah, great guy. Um, he's he's super nice, super down to earth, but um, but it's different for him, you know, because he's a competitive power lifter. Um, but for someone who's in their 60s, um, you know, the main reason behind that is to get their bones stronger, get their, get their, get their vertebrae stronger, get their- Get their femur stronger. Get their get their hips stronger. Um, their hip bones, in in particular, um, their femur stronger. Um, but also too, um, stability of the spine as well too. I see a lot of people with, you know, just uh, very unstable cores, uh, very very unstable muscles in all around their torso. Uh, we, especially when you when you talk about the core, the core isn't just you know your rectus abdominis, you know your six pack muscles. It's it runs 360 degrees. You know, we're talking obliques, we're talking QL, we're talking um, all the muscles that are deep within your spine, like the multifidus muscles, for example. A lot of people don't know what the hell that is, but um, all those muscles play a part in stable and properly stabilizing the spine. So, um, and let's face it, a lot of people nowadays, it's very easy for people in their you know late 50s, early 60s, mid 60s, whatever to develop back pain out of nowhere and just for really no reason whatsoever. Um, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with, um, people's, um, inability to properly, properly stabilize their core. And when they don't have the proper core strength to stabilize their core properly in just daily activities, then it's very easy for back pain to develop. Do you want to add some of that, Brian? One of the things that I wanted to touch on, Taylor did a, Taylor, thank you so much for that though. That's a phenomenal way of explaining this, but when I was in Chicago, one of the best examples that I can give is that I was training a world-renowned surgeon. His name was Dr. Steve Levin, who works at the North Shore Academy um, in, um, or not, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, the North Shore Medical Group. I don't know why I said Academy, forgive me. Anyway, so um, he came to me and he said that he had been to about five different personal trainers. He had tried everything from acupuncture, chiropractic care, and uh, he was probably in his uh, mid-50s, well before his retirement age as a surgeon. His primary focus was shoulders, and he was the go-to guy in the Midwest for shoulders, and um, he was just desperate, and he said that somebody told him that he just needs to get stronger, but he was ready to retire. His back pain was so bad, 
And uh, it was just awful. And I felt bad for the guy. So I put him through the structural balance assessment. And I told him that one of the first things that we are going to have to do is you were going to have to learn how to pick stuff up, stuff up off the ground and properly. So I taught him literally from an elevated position. We started um, in a rack deadlift position, started off very high and worked our way lower. And this guy became one of the strongest uh, 50-year-olds that I had ever seen after six years of training him. And um, he actually has said that the strength training that he and I went through during those years is what saved his medical career. But it was just so simple how something as simple as a deadlift basically took away his entire uh, lower back pain. Not only was, did his surgeries improve, he was able to put more surgeries on his schedule. He was also able to go back to recreational handball, which was one of his biggest um, hobbies that he loved. But a medical surgeon like that, though, has now literally said, though, that probably learning how to deadlift again was one of the reasons what saved his medical career. You know, that's one of the things that I had, one of the ancillary benefits that I've had of doing more deadlifts is lower back pain. It, it's, it, it, and it, it, it sounds counterintuitive. I guarantee the listener, if they, if you go just Google proper deadlift, you'll look and you'll say, how in the world is that good for your back? I mean, just the, the lay person look at it, it looks like, that looks like a lot of strain, but yeah, you know, st with strain comes strength and, and it does work. And I'm telling you now, I got a question for all of you guys and Brian knows this. And then this is like, this isn't a setup. This is like really Jason getting some free counseling here from some experts. So I started doing this eight weeks to seal fit, which requires both heavy lifting as well as endurance lifting. And sometimes at the same time. So what I will find myself doing is, um, like a hundred almost deadlifts in one session. I mean, it's just nuts. So tell me to, to, and for somebody that's not going, first of all, tell me, is that okay? As long as I'm, tell me how to do that. Obviously it's okay. Or I don't believe Mark Devine would have me do it. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, I trust Mark Devine, but how do I do that? What's the, the best protocol to make sure I'm being safe by doing that volume, but then also for the listener out there that they're like, okay, I'm buying in. I think that I need to start adding some deadlifts, but I don't know how much weight. I don't know how many reps. I don't know how often, you know, Ross, what do you tell both me and that listener? Um, so I say start small, don't overtrain. Um, but if you're training for endurance, it's okay to do high reps. It's okay to do uh, a lot of sets and a lot of reps. Just don't overdo it. Don't listen to your body and let pain be your guide first and foremost. Um, allow yourself plenty of recovery time. Um, but it sounds like you're training for a specific, uh, goal here and you do have to train accordingly. Okay. So it's okay. Brian, got to take on that? Believe it or not, when it comes to programs that uh, I've been through the eight weeks to seal fit program before though, and I loved it, but at the time I was training, uh, six days a week and, uh, I was going after the Spartan race, the tough motors. I was just beginning my journey into obstacle course racing. So I was prepared already at that time to do that amount of volume with those exercises. However, to the listener out there, if you are interested in doing a program that is that advanced, the first thing that I would recommend, read the book. If you are going to get into eight weeks of, uh, eight, uh, eight weeks of seal fit or whatever it's called, the, um, whatever that's called, you need to read every single word. And I'm not talking skimming through it. You need to read it, absorb it, and get the information. You need to understand what it is that Mark Devine is telling you. You need to understand what every author out there who is maybe writing something about a similar program that requires that amount of advanced work, you need to know exactly what that author is telling you. And you need to be realistic with yourself. 
if you take on that kind of volume and that kind of advanced program and you're and you have not trained in three to five years, you need to ask yourself, now wait a minute. I need to go, I need to start over again. Yeah. So what I would recommend to the listeners out there is to make sure that you know what you're getting into. Ask yourself the real question, am I ready for something of this kind of nature, or do I need to take some time to build myself back up to that advanced program? So Jason, with someone like yourself who is very uh, fit and who takes this kind of stuff seriously, yes, I would say that you're probably going to be okay with that as long as your technique does not uh, does not go away during the high repetitions. Mm -hmm. But for somebody out there who has not done a deadlift for many years, I would never recommend doing 100 repetitions for deadlifts on that. However, can you build yourself up to that kind of volume? Absolutely. Okay. All right. You got anything else on that, Taylor? No, I believe, I, I believe Brian, uh, touched on everything, you know, I mean, I, you know, for those guys out there that, you know, are, you know, selling programs like that, I mean, it's great. You know, a lot of guys make a lot, uh, a lot of good money like that. Um, they have a huge following on social media, which, which is great. Um, but I would hope that, you know, they would be, um, telling people to, you know, take it with a grain of salt, you know, and, um, know what you're getting into, you know, and not just saying that, you know, putting a blanket statement like, oh, this is for everybody. Cause you know, to be honest, I mean, you, you really shouldn't trust guys like that, that say like one program fits all because it's never one program fits all for everybody. Yeah. yeah no I doubt. I agree a hundred percent. No doubt. And that's one of the things like to your point, that's why you say read the book. Cause Mark Devine goes into it as much of a mental program as it is a physical program. And it's not for everyone. And at 48, I thought I was pushing, I'm too old to be a Navy SEAL. So, you know, but you know, I'm to the point where, uh, I am, I'm, I'm trying to take precautions. That's why I want to ask you guys <laughs> now, here's another lift that I know Taylor is going to fit in because I know it's on the, it's in the assessment because I've done the assessment with Brian and I want you and it's another lift that every listener either hates or, well, I'm like, I'm gonna get there. That's not where I am yet, but you're, you're right. We're going <laughs> to, but it's, it's the one that people hate even more than that. Squats. Yes. Every, everybody hates leg day, but I guarantee you, and I, I would raise my hand on this as someone who now at this point, I don't do the competitions you do, Brian, I'm training purely for longevity at this point. I want to be as healthy as I can, as strong as I can for as long as I can. And so everything that's in my protocol, it's, it's geared for, for that. And so therefore, that being the case, I don't miss leg day. I, I've never loved squats so much in my life. And that doesn't mean I necessarily like doing them, but having done them, I'm like, okay, yes, I feel like. And so Taylor, talk about one, when you go through that assessment, because this is one of the things I don't think I'm very good at yet. Brian helped me with it whenever I did my assessment. And so I try to be cognizant of it, but how important is it? One, just to do squats for longevity and overall health and going around that cage, that core. I know like, for example, I watched um, someone on my app. I work out with the ladder app that Ben Greenfield has on his team. And someone asked him, I want a six pack. And he didn't, he didn't even mention core exercises. He didn't mention, he said, well, you're going to do a lot of squats. You need to do a lot more squats and a lot more deadlifts and those heavy, those heavy lifts. So my question for you is one, the importance of proper form. What does that look like as best you can describe it over, over a podcast, over a microphone and two for longevity, how important it is to do squats. Yeah. So a lot of people would agree that the, especially strength and conditioning professionals, personal trainers, they would agree that the squat is the king of all exercises, which 
I, I'll agree to, I mean, next to deadlift, next to picking things up off the floor, um, it, it's, it's hard to replace, uh, a good squat with really any other exercise as far as like, even though, you know, it's primarily a lower body exercise, but, um, like you said, it's very, very, uh, important, um, for also strengthening the core as well, too. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, um, and I'll, I'll tell people all the time, like, look, your squat is only going to be as good as your core will allow you to. Um, and the core is, you know, core strength and stability is is a very important part of proper technique for the squat. Um, so, and that's, you know, one of the other parts of the assessment is we'll, we will assess someone's core endurance strength, basically their isometric strength. And basically that's how the core is working in a squat. You have to have a good foundation of isometric core strength or core endurance, right? So um, there, there are certain things like, you know, in the assessment, we'll, we'll see if somebody can make it to, you know, 30 seconds in a good plank position. We'll see if somebody can make it to 60 seconds, 90 seconds, and then 120 seconds. If you can, if you can hold a two-minute plank for a good, you know, for, for good position, you know, for two minutes, then more than likely you're probably going to be ready for back squats. I'll, you know... All things considered, you know, where, where your hip tightness uh, is at, where your ankle mobility is at, things of that nature. But the squat is very, very important because, first of all, there's so many different squat variations that you can do. Not everybody has to barbell back squat. Um, there's, there's so many different squat variations that you can do. Um, and it's such a good movement to do because it does tie into deadlift technique as well, too, because there's also a lot of different deadlift techniques that you can do, too. Um, if someone is looking to use more of their legs in the, in the deadlift, then we'll recommend something, something like a, uh, like a sumo deadlift where they're using their legs a little bit more, the knee angles, a little bit, uh, more acute. Um, so, and, and again, it's just another good exercise to, you know, strengthen the bones, strengthen the femur, strengthen the hip, hip bones, the, the spine as well. Um, you don't always have to directly load the spine either like a barbell back squat, even though the barbell back squat is probably one of the best exercises that an athlete can do to become bigger, faster, and stronger. Um, but like I said, there's, there's so many good squat variations that you can do out there that you really not, even, even if somebody is severely limited, I'm, I'm always able to find a way to get, get someone to squat and, um, you know, help them reach their goals. All right. I got to ask you right now while we're on squats, cause I got to tell you guys, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. It pisses me off. I mean, I don't like it when something <laughs> pisses me off. And that is overhead squats, overhead squats, freaking kill, kill me. I mean, and here's why it's one, I can't do a lot of weight, but I don't, I'm not worried about that, but dude, it just feels so freaking uncomfortable as though, and, and I'm, I mean, my core is there, it, 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 my lower back, I feel like I'm jacking it up. And I don't know if it's more my form or it's just that hard of a lift. Uh, and so that kind of ties into Brian, you, you read my mind. I want to talk again about longevity, how important it is to be able to lift weights over your head. And sure. so here we're kind of doing both. And that's where I didn't mention it when you and I were talking offline about Silfit, but that's one of the, the one lift that has probably aggravated me more than anything is overhead squats. They're freaking, I, I hate them. They're eating my lunch. It's because it's like playing golf. I don't play golf because I suck at it so bad. I don't like yeah, doing overhead same squats because I suck so bad. <laughs> So tell me why they're so hard. What is going on in my body that's making them so damn hard? And and how can I get better at it? Ross, help me, brother. First thing that pops in my head is mobility and flexibility. Okay. So you can be super strong, but if you don't have the mobility or the flexibility, you can't hold that bar above your head. Okay. Or at least not for a prolonged period of time. So 
if you're expected to do high reps, uh, and I don't know what you're experiencing, but do your shoulders give out? Do you feel off balance? Do you feel tightness? What? So shoulders are good where I just, it just feels more awkward in lower back and my core, my, my shoulders up, up here's fine. And it's like, I'm maybe I'm going too low. I always try to break the 90 degree plane a little bit, you know, just go just below 90 degrees. And so it's like, whenever I'm getting down and also here we go, this, this is where you guys will key in. Cause you are the experts. My heels want to come up. So that's, that's what's happening. I get to a certain point and my heels want to pop up, but they're supposed to stay down in an overhead squat, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, so what do I need to work on to get those, keep those heels down and keep going and feel and, and do it with confidence? So I would say address your, the tight muscles. Okay. Uh, if you've got tight calves, if you've got uh, weak hamstrings, I, I, we'd have to do the assessment, but address the tight muscles first okay. um, and balance. Uh, so if you feel off balance, then it's, it's probably for a reason. Okay. Okay. Work those stabilizer muscles. Yeah, so I probably have to, you know, since I, since you and I did do the assessment a while back, you're just kind of, I'm trying to think back on uh, kind of what I saw when you and I did it. I would probably have to say right now, knowing you, you and I kind of have a lot of the same traits of uh, the way we like to work out. We, we like to get in there and get it done and we do it with a lot of energy and yeah. a lot of intensity. But when it comes to overhead squats, believe it or not, that's actually my favorite core exercise. Yeah. If you want to strengthen the entire 360 core, there's nothing better than holding stuff above your head. Yep. All those years, like when you can, all those years of all those people back in the old day, days of like when of uh, the Spartans, all they did was they did so much of overhead rucking, mm -hmm. which is what strengthened their cores. But Jason, for you specifically, most likely I would say that you need to stretch your calves. Okay. You need to stretch your hamstrings because a tight muscle is a weak muscle. And if your heels are coming up, then the lower limb, which is the knee below, is probably extremely tight, including your perineals mm -hmm. and your tibialis muscle, which okay. is below the knee. But your hamstrings also are going to play a huge role in that as well, and, stre and stretching out your glute muscles as well. But another factor on overhead squats that is extremely a big misconception is going down fast. Yeah. If you want to get good at overhead squats, you have to start off no matter how many repetitions. If it takes three sets to get in 20 repetitions, you have to do that. But you have to go down at a three to five second eccentric, which is lowering the which is lowering the exercise, and then go up fast. Okay, if that is what's going to basically help you recruit the proper muscle fibers that are involved in the overhead squat, start going down slow. And once your body starts reacting to it the way it's supposed to, you're going to have a much easier time. But if you stretch the hamstrings, the calf muscles, and the lower limb, and start going at a much better eccentric action on an overhead squat. Believe me, those things are going to become your best friend. Okay. I had the same problem. Okay. And also, another problem that a lot of people have when it comes to longevity of squats, for example, uh, and Taylor, thank you for your input, is so many people on, on the squatting aspect of it, though, think they have to go all the way down. Mm -hmm. It's based on the individual. If you can only make it to 90 degrees to where you start feeling tightness in the hip, you got to stop. Okay. Once you start feeling tightness in the hip to the point in time where you're feeling like maybe your hip is kind of maneuvering in one direction or another, you got to stop right where that is and kind of build yourself up to getting to a certain kind of degree of um, going down, of getting down low. That is a flexibility thing that you've got to work on for yourself as an individual. Don't force it. Okay. Don't force yourself to go all the way down because all you're going to be doing is be asking for trouble. Because if your hips are tight, your lower back is tight on a squat. That's a really big thing for longevity. Use your, like, like Ross just said a minute ago, learn your body, listen to your body. Yeah. That'd be my best advice on squats. That's that's great advice. That that'll help me a lot. And I know one of the things that I've I've tried to do, and I want to get you guys and get your take on this, is on those lifts that are more 
challenging and I know form and form is important on everything you do, but I know squats just to, to protect your body. It's so important. Sometimes I'll just take a, and for the listener out there, it's never done a squat before. And they think, oh my gosh, it's just, that's crazy. I just take a PVC pipe and put it over my head and I start working on the form. What, yes. what do you got? How you guys feel about that? I mean, it, it was somebody that's never done anything before just to get their form first. Is it more important to just get in there and start lifting and figuring it out? Or maybe is it okay to just do like air squats and kind of work on form first and then start adding? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So probably my go-to exercise is going to be a goblet squat. Ah, because I do love goblet yeah, squats. Yeah. Goblet squats. I, I mean, it's a, it's a great teaching tool because it teaches someone to squat nice and upright. Um, and, and for those, for those of you who are, are thinking we're going and grabbing butterball turkeys and squatting with them, no, no, no it's, no. it's a, it's just get a, uh, get either a, d- right there. a dumbbell and, and hold it, hold it vertically or better yet a, uh, a kettlebell, right. And hold it close to your chest, uh, and, 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 and squat down. So anyway. or in Jason's case, a sandbag, since yeah. he's doing seal work. There you go. There you go. There you go. So go ahead, Taylor. Yeah. It could be really with any weight. Um, I, I like to, uh, do with, um, bumper plates, yeah. um, because, it uh, obviously holding a bumper plate instead of a dumbbell um, will definitely require me to be a little more upright in my squat because it's you know it's it's a bigger object to hold on to right um, and sometimes I'll, I'll advise people um, to just hold that weight in as low a squat as you can get comfortably hold it there for ten to fifteen seconds and what you can do is you can kind of rock back and forth bringing your knees forward and contrary to popular belief. The knees coming forward, it's completely fine for the knees. Um, as long as you have good ankle dorsiflexion, as long as you have fair, you know, good hip mobility and there's no restrictions at the hip, um, there's no, there's no, um, you know, no, no issues at the, at the hip capsule. Um, but really that's, uh, that's really where I start everybody when it comes to, um, uh, teaching them how to squat properly. Um, because ultimately what we really want to do is stay as upright as we can in the squat in order to, you know, protect the back, protect the hips. Um, but going back to the overhead squat, in order to do it properly, you have to, that torso has to be almost, uh, 90 degrees to the floor. So, um, that's, if we're, if we're doing overhead squats in a, in a, in a, in a workout, we'll definitely warm up with some, uh, with some goblet squats and we'll, we'll also, um, warm up the thoracic spine as well. Cause this is not something that we touched on, um, or Ross and Brian touched on. Um, the thoracic spine has a natural kyphotic curve, meaning that it's, it's more, um, it's more in a, uh, in a flexed position as opposed to the lower back, which is a more, what we call lordotic curve, which means it's in naturally in a more extended position. So what, when it comes to holding, being able to hold anything overhead, whether it be a dumbbell, barbell, whatever it is overhead, um, the thoracic spine has to stay in, um, a fair amount of extension, which that's not really its natural, uh, position. Um, so what I'll have, um, some people do is really, um, do some, uh, opening up the, of the T-spine. I'll have them go down into a squat. I'll have them rotate up, rotate one hand to the ceiling, rotate the other hand up to the ceiling. That way that warms up the shoulder girdle, but that also warms up the thoracic spine as well too, because that's one of the things I think is pretty often overlooked when it comes to um, proper overhead squat technique. You know, when he becomes a college professor, please, you, I, want, I want everyone to know that he worked here for a little while. So uh, when you when you go to start teaching kinesiology at Texas A&M, let them know you worked here. Who the hell said I'm going to go work at Texas A&M? Because I said so. That's why. <laughs> Just because you're from Louisiana, hey, I'm going to turn you into an Aggie. That's right. That's right. 
Which, which, by the way, as a as the father of a daughter who just graduated from Alabama, dude, I gotta Shy. say, I gotta say, Taylor, that uh, was no, sweet. It's all right, it's all right. That was <laughs> sweet, my man. We needed some revenge, so yeah. hopefully, hopefully, we'll get revenge because we we shouldn't have lost to A and M last year. I mean, yeah, that, that yeah, was true. that was awful. That's all. That's all I gotta say about that. As Forrest Gump said, it's just funny. I was at, I was at that game, and uh, man, there were some LSU fans that were sitting behind us. Oh man, I mean, it was great and all fun. But this guy kept on grabbing my shoulders and rocking me back and forth every time they scored. And then suddenly, as we just kept on moving on, and it just changed, he just sat back there and he just yeah. he just was like, yeah, what happened? What happened? Yeah, but it was so much fun. Well, all right, so. Now, one of the things I think that we would be remiss if we didn't uh, cover throughout the course of this conversation is balance. It's one of those things, and I'll tell you guys right now, I'm doing nothing. I don't, re- I don't think I have any really th- anything I can really point to that I'm doing. I want to get a, uh, I know y'all got, like, what, is it like a stability board or whatever that you had me stand on? Correct, yes. Okay, so, and, 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 it's, and I'm really, I guess I've been so focused on strength and endurance at this point, but I know I got to really make balance of focus. Talk to this audience, regardless of age, about the importance of balance and how some of you, how you guys start to incorporate that into your clients' protocols. Ross, you start. So that takes me back to my personal training days. Uh, one of the, the plans I followed was stability, strength, and then power. So if you don't have the balance, then you're probably not going to have the strength nor the power. Um, you can use any modality, but even starting just with something simple, single leg. Uh, if you have zero balance at all, just start standing on one leg, one foot. Uh, if you are a little bit more progressed, then you can add something to stand on. So there's balance discs, there's you know different things you can stand on, but um, honestly, uh, start simple and just see how that ankle strength is. And, and you mentioned before, you've got strong core, but how are the other you know stabilizer yeah. muscles? Right, right. Brian, you got anything? Balance has always been a very uh, interesting uh, thought process in, uh, when I was a strength and conditioning specialist. What I always believed in is that you've got to start from the very beginning. And what I mean by that is that uh, if, you have, if you have a client or if you're somebody out there who's somebody who's listening to this, if you just don't have very good balance, you need to start on the floor. Like, like Ross just said a minute ago, learn to balance yourself on one leg, learn how to squat on the floor. Don't get on any devices until you're uh, strong enough and able enough to balance yourself on the floor first. Then you can move on to the next progression. At least that's always been my greatest advice. And the best way to do that is to get stronger. You need to get stronger, uh, not, just so much from the, uh, not just so much from the lower body. Every, whenever everybody thinks balance, they think just lower body only. You need to get strong at an overhead press. You need to get strong at a horizontal press. You need to get strong at rowing, at vertical pulling. You got to get your core to be able to stabilize itself. You got to be able to retract it when you need to, but also your glutes, your psoas, your entire hip structure. That's got to get you. That's, that's got to be activated. Your hamstring muscles, your vastus medialis muscle, which is the teardrop muscle on the inside of the knee, as well as your ankles and your calves. My point is, though, is that you have to be overall strong and be able to recruit the muscles of your body before you can move on to balance pads, stability balls, or balance beams, or things of that nature. So my recommendation on balance is to is full body strength first, then learn how to uh, balance yourself on the ground, then move on to balance pads, and then move on to the more advanced exercises. But balance is essential. Proprioception is essential for when we get a little bit older. You want to talk about longevity and training? 
then uh, proprioception imbalance is critical. Yeah, I mean, you basically took the words right out of my mouth, but um, to kind of touch on uh, what proprioception is for the listeners out there that do- doesn't know what the hell proprioception is, uh, basically proprioception is just uh, our body's ability to detect where um, our limbs are in space, basically. Um, and that's one of the things that we try to teach our kids um, at a young age who train here um, because that's that's going to help them uh, get stronger a little more quicker. Um but as we age, that that tends to go downhill, right? Because as muscles um, tend to lose uh, strength as we get older, um, that makes older individuals more susceptible to falls, right? So it's one of the reasons why you know strength training is so important for people who are older. Or you know, uh, why did you point well, at me whenever you said that, Taylor? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, what, what, what's <laughs> going on? Hey, dude. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I meant to. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, I mean, that's, you know, one of the, uh, things I learned in grad school was that, um, you know, you, our fast twitch fibers, they, they go away as we age. Right. Yep. So, and everybody's, um, born with a certain amount of fast twitch fibers actually. And this is kind of how people are put into endurance sports or more power sports too. Um, you know, one of the easiest ways to do that, or actually one of the most painful ways to do it is to take a muscle biopsy and you would, uh, basically stain the muscle. And you would put it underneath a microscope and you would see, okay, do they have more uh, dark fibers or do they have more light fibers? More dark fibers, meaning that they're more oxidative and you basically have more, basically means you have more fast, uh, slow switch fibers. Uh, but then fast switch fibers, those are the more uh, white uh, under the microscope type fibers. But nonetheless, um, that's why, you know, strength training is so important for individuals who are older because those fast switch fibers, um, whatever you do, whatever you were born with or whatever you, you know, were, were training on those, that, that strength greatly declines. And obviously when people, um, don't have the strength to catch themselves very, very quickly, then they're going to, they're going to fall. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I think it would be really beneficial is, all right, so that the listeners out there and they're like, okay, we talked about balance, but I walk and I don't fall over. And in fact, you know, I've, I kind of just, I have, I feel like I have pretty good balance mobility. What are some things that the listener could do just to start testing some of their, their, their balance to figure out how bad has it already gotten? And I don't even realize it because I think that's one of the things that get a lot of people is until they trip and they break that hip at the age of 65 or 70, they don't even realize that how much of their balance they have lost. And to kind of bring this thing full circle, we started out talking about youth and the importance and the things that how important it is to teach at an early age but you just mentioned it taylor the fast twitch muscles we take for granted as kids we have those and we sprint we jump we play we do those things and then as adults we don't so the so much of the body from my understanding is use it or lose it and if we don't use those kid muscles we don't use those kid moves because we're adults then we lose them right we lose the ability to jump high to sprint and those sorts of things but we don't have to right? And so they can help. So what are some things, point one, what are some things people can do just to kind of test where am I on as far as my overall fitness? And, and to the listener, this could be somebody, some of you that go to the gym five times a week or whatever, or those of you who aren't doing anything just to really kind of open your eyes. Start with you. I will go around the table. Ross, what would you do to that person to say, hey, here's how you can just kind of assess where you are. What, what, what would they do? few simple things. I mean, you can try, uh, something you normally do in everyday life. 
try it on one leg. Uh, try it with your eyes closed. So if you take away something, not to use Brian for example, but okay, if, go ahead. If you have it. a surgery um, and you are told not to use your left leg, you're going to have to rely on your right right leg, right? If you can't stand on one leg, then you're you're kind of screwed. Um, take away light, so at nighttime or close your eyes or in the dark. If you can't do your normal movement uh, without both eyes open, then you probably don't have the best balance. Um, there's always a time in our life where we're going to rely on balance, whether or not, I mean, uh, walking, you're, you're on one foot, uh, you're in the shower or you're putting on a sock or something, you lift one leg up. So those are all easy ways to test your balance. I'll kind of start, I'll, I'll answer this question in two ways. Uh, the first one, like for somebody who hasn't been in the gym in a long time and just wants to see where they are. A standard basic uh, single leg split squat would be a really good way to test your balance on regular ground because if your hips are kind of moving in all different kinds of directions and your knee is going in, is internally, externally moving in this direction and you just can't complete the squat without shaking, that's going to show some imbalances right there and that it also is going to show that your balance is off. Ross also kind of touched on the concept of just being able to stand up on one leg. I think that's also a really good move. Probably another one to do is just a standard uh, forward lunge. If you can do a forward lunge, are you falling off balance? If you can do a reverse lunge, are you falling off balance? That's another good, safe way to test your balance right there. And like Ross touched, if you want to try it uh, with your eyes closed, uh, if you've been out of the gym for a while, then uh, be careful with that. Though That's also a good way to try it's it. It's amazing what a difference that makes, dude. Oh, it does. Just standing on one leg with your eyes closed, like, whoa. Oh, it, it is so wild. <laughs> so. For the more advanced people out there, what I would recommend, though, is uh, get outside. If you want to go for a hike, believe it or not, going outside and hiking up a hill, that can test your balance right there. If you're falling all over the place, well, then you can probably do some things out there. Walking down a hill could also be a really good way to do that as well. Don't be afraid to get yourself outdoors and kind of test yourself and kind of get on and do some stuff that uh, you've just like, gyms are indoors. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be, uh, if you want to transfer all that stuff that you've done on inside and take it outside, that's another good way to kind of develop your balance right there. However, if that's just not, if you just don't have the time to do that, for the more person who's been training for a while, single leg balances on a BOSU, single leg balances on advanced balance pads. Uh, BOSU has now come out with these little miniature pads that uh, you can just put on the ground and balance yourself on, which are extremely difficult. But don't be afraid to get to uh, kind of set yourself uh, and set yourself apart and try to do some other maneuvers in that direction. Like it. Taylor? So I'm a little surprised you didn't say uh, walking up or downstairs. I know. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Um, no, a couple more that I would recommend, uh, at least for the more advanced, um, people out there would be, um, a single leg deadlift variation. Um, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of people, it's hard for a lot of people to grasp the, uh, the hip hinge, uh, concept and going back to, uh, to tight hamstrings. Um, it's very, it's very hard for someone to get into a nice, good, neutral spine, uh, position when going into, um, like what we, what we call Romanian deadlift, where the knees are still, you know, just slightly bent to about around 160, 170 degrees, where we're just really targeting the, um, the lower back and the hamstrings. Um, but also too, you know, it's like, like Ross, uh, and Brian were just saying, standing on one leg, but also moving the other leg, see how far you can bring up the other hip, see, you know, other ways that you can, uh, move the other leg around and see. See what else you can do on one leg besides, you know, just, just standing there with the eyes closed. I mean, obviously with the eyes closed, you, you lose that feedback and, and, and that's what, that's why it makes it so much harder is that you, you have no feedback, um, when it comes to, you know, keeping those, <laughs> keeping those eyes open. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we, we touched on a little bit on everything. You know? I actually tried a barbell deadlift once with a blindfold on and, oh, uh, that was just straight up weird. I mean, it was I've only with, I've, I, no, I've done it with a snatch. Oh, really? Oh, oh, I bet that was crazy. Was, I only was, did it with 135 pounds, but that, that scared me. I did only five reps though, but I was more afraid that the weight, that the weight wasn't being distributed correctly. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. I again. only, I only did it cause I saw some crazy Russian doing it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that, that looks fun, but there you go. It, I mean. The I'll Eastern Europeans, man, that when it they're comes insane. to they're different, yeah. are different, which, okay, that brings me to a perfect place to kind of wrap this, uh, a bow on this thing. So a guy that both, that you've trained under Brian, that we both have admiration for, uh, 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 Sasulin, uh, Pavel Sasulin is, um, somebody who has his recommendation for everything is get stronger, right? If he, whatever it is get stronger. If you ask him, get stronger. So, um, my question would for, we'll start again, going around the table, Ross, the listener out there, they don't, they don't, they're not in high school anymore where you walk, how much you bench, you know, and then how much you squat? They don't know if they're strong or not. What can they do to test whether or not they are in fact strong and where they need to kind of, what's their, what their baseline is? What can they do? So aside from like one rep maxes and things like that, um, doesn't have to be your basic lifts. I mean, can you do a push up? Can you do body weight exercises? If you can't lift your own body, then no, you're probably not strong. Um, start with the basics, you know, air squats, push ups. Um, talk to me about a dead hang. Cause I always hear everybody talk about grip strength, grip strength, grip strength. In fact, I think, and you guys would know better than I do. And correct me if I'm wrong, but now research has shown that grip strength is a better indicator of longevity than telomere length from what I've, what I've heard in some studies. So talk a little bit about, you know, kind of dead hangs and, and figure, figuring out how strong your grip is. Well, there's different kinds of variations that you can do to test your grip strength. Uh, when you're in physical therapy, I remember when I had a uh, shoulder, when I had shoulder surgery and bicep surgery that, uh, you know, they tested my grip, uh, with, uh, what's that thing called? It's a hand dy dynamometer. Hey, that's right. Yeah. So uh, there, that's a good way to test your grip right there. Uh, dead hang, if you can hold a dead hang, I believe, for anywhere between 90 to 120 seconds, uh, that's a good indicator of whether or not you've got good grip strength, though. But there's a lot of other variations in the dead hang as well. That's latissimus dorsi, uh, your QL, even your core is involved in that. So there's a lot of other variations. But I've always been a big believer that the stronger the grip, the stronger the body. And uh, to answer what you touched on earlier, though, my philosophy is, is that the body is meant to do two things get strong and move. So if you were going to get stronger, well, then you have a responsibility to move your body as well. And along with that though, grip strength plays a huge key role in that because in my opinion, you can't get stronger in certain areas of the body without a strong grip. Uh, but that's also with your hands and also a grip with your feet. Yeah. So you need to be able to have good, strong feet as well. Yeah. I would also um, touch on the body's ability to uh, absorb force and produce force. Because when you think about it, that is resistance training in a nutshell, right? So, because there's always going to be, I mean, unless you're training the concentric only movement or an eccentric only movement, um, resistance training involves the eccentric and concentric contractions, meaning the, uh, muscle lengthening phase and then the muscle shortening phase. So, um, and it's, and it's very important for athletes as well. And I'm not trying to go off in too much of a tangent here. I'm just trying to educate some of the listeners out there. Um, that, you know, resistance training in itself, it's like I said, it's our body's ability. It, it's a test of our body's ability to uh, absorb force, 
and produce force at the same time. And that that's basically strength in a nutshell right there, right? So it's not just basically how much weight that you can, you know, successfully lift. It's how much weight that you, you can successfully lower under good control, like in a descent of a squat or the descent of a bench press. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really what I would, um, you know, consider, you know, basically when it, um, I would say, you know, strength in a nutshell, you know, right there. You know, one of the things whenever I was, uh, testing for just kind of longevity, like I do a lot of the stuff like, uh, get up and get downs, which literally to the listener and I, I'll kind of like with the overhead squat, just sitting down and being able to get up quickly, which again, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier. Ross is just being able to do the things we do in everyday life for the listener out there. Just try to sit on your butt with your legs straight out in front of you and get up as quickly as you can. Dude, it, 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 for somebody that's in good shape, it frustrates me that it's even a challenge at all at times, but it is because of the core work and it's those little things like that, being able to pick things up off the ground, you know, whether it's a, a medicine ball or things like that, it is just, it, it, it blows my mind that these simple little things that we take for granted and the reason why is because we don't do them anymore. I mean, your grandma doesn't sit on a floor with her legs straight out and then have to get up. And just because she doesn't do that doesn't mean that she won't live longer if she's able to do it, or at least live healthier longer, right? So, um, well, guys, look, this was fun. And what I want to do, and so just so the listener knows, I am going to tap this brain trust as much as I possibly can. We want to make this a regular thing. I don't know, maybe we'll call this the I don't know, the fitness round table or something like that. We'll, we'll come up with some really cool and clever name for what we're doing here. But to the listener, I want to invite you to submit questions uh, for these guys. They're the pros and I'm going to be, I'm going to be coming back to them as, as often as we can to have these conversations about longevity, health, wellness, balance, all the things that allow you to live healthier, longer at every single age. And so we're going to do that. So if you have any questions, then producer at texttitans.com submit it uh producer at texttitans.com we will get it and we will uh we'd love to just uncover you know do some q a on the air but we're going to keep bringing you topics and subjects that we think will be beneficial and brian man taylor ross anything that anything that we missed that we or that we need to cover before we let, wrap this up this was awesome for me i hope you guys enjoyed it ross you got anything so <clears throat> i'll follow back up with one of the questions you asked earlier um how much of a difference does it make if you're in shape and you get injured or uh, recovery time and things like that? Huge difference. So uh, if you're already in shape, so it's never too late to start. Um, if you're stronger, if you're more flexible, if, if you're just in general better shape than you uh, were, then if you do get injured, you're going to recover so much faster. It's just a proven fact. Hey, real quick, I want to tag onto that. One of the things that a lot of people that are listening to this that they don't think about is that Whenever you're 65 and you have that broken hip, it's not the broken hip. It's the fact that it's harder to grow, to, to regain the muscle, right? Your VO2 max is going to go down because you're sedentary. You can't. And so just everything shuts down and your recovery, if you think it's recovery, your recovery is slow. Again, going back, that child that can play a sport, it's six days a week and just keep, and they just seemingly don't stop versus me and my 48 year old bud. If I tried to get on a football field, I could do it for a while, but the recovery would take so long it's even enhanced, right? So I, I just, I love to ring that home. So that's a great parting shot, Ross. PT. Probably the conclusion for me is that when it comes to the longevity aspect, uh, let's think about this. When you're younger, you know, you're, uh, you're playing, you know, kind of technically speaking, what you're training for, but the older we get, 
you know, there's a lot of things out there that we don't know what we're training for. For example, we got to train to be healthy because we don't know what we might be susceptible to when it comes to getting sick. We don't know what injuries might be out there. You know, obviously I've got my issue right here and I've uh, got, I had a torn bicep a couple of years ago and I've got all kinds of injuries from my football days. But my personal training regimen is basically based on integrated life training, ILT. Everything I do is based on the unknown. Everything I train for before I got hurt is always being ready to be uh, prepared for the unknown. You never know what's going to happen whenever you leave the gym. And, f- and if you're physically prepared for it, though, that's going to help you prepare for the longevity concept of it, though. So don't be afraid to train, uh, like Taylor was saying earlier, don't be afraid to be able to produce force and absorb force. Don't be afraid to have endurance. Don't be afraid to kind of try to regain some of your speed and start sprints again at, a, you know, at, a, at an easy process. And don't be afraid to get yourself strong. I think real quick, I think that is excellent because I kind of have the exact same mindset in this. And it's just going to sound so silly, probably to you guys and the listener. But one of the things I think about a lot these days is because I don't compete in sports. So why am I training so hard? Why am I so obsessed with my VO2 max? And yes, the the standard can answer, can answer is because I want to live healthier longer. And that's absolutely true. But you know what I think about a lot is I get in a car wreck and I'm laid up in the hospital. I want to do what you've done, Brian. I want to recover as quickly as possible. So I'm, a lot of my training is for recovery that that may come. The, the need for, I mean, intense recovery that may come. And so for you, the listener, if you think it's silly, it's like, well, I don't play sports. I don't run marathons. I don't do anything. Why should I do this? Look, what Brian just said, we have no idea what's going to happen when we walk out the door every morning. And if you're in that car wreck or whatever, you you dramatically reduce your risk of death. I think that just by your VO2 max and any form of exercise whatsoever, the it can 5X your likely, give you a 5X reduction in the likelihood of all forms of death, of morbidity, all forms. And so it's getting struck by lightning, getting hit by a car, all of it. And this is why, because if those things happen, you're more likely to live through that thing. So anyway, that's a, something I'm really passionate about. And as silly as it sounds, Brian, I get it because, dude, that's one of the things I think about a lot. It's like, you know, if I'm ever laid up in a hospital bed in a coma one day, I hope they go, dude, this guy's probably going to make it. He's a, in amazing health. You can tell. I want to recover quickly, Taylor. Yeah, so um, one of the things that, you know, a lot of people will come to me, it's like, They'll just say, look, I just want to feel better. I want to feel like my younger self, mm-hmm. right? And so I'll just leave y'all with a quote that um, my old boss, uh, shout out uh, Charlie Houlihan uh, from Pelican Athletic Club in Louisiana. Um, he would always harp on that, you know, when I was working with him in the free weight room there, he'd always say like, look, this is the fountain of youth. I mean, and, and, and I truly believe that, you know, I mean, exercise okay. is medicine and, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it, you really can't go wrong with proper exercise, with a proper exercise uh, training program. Um, you know, if in a, you know, you the listener out there, if, if, if you're in Tyler, Texas, you know, come down to the Chris's Human Performance Center and, you know, we can get you, we can get you started on a, on a good path. I love it. Guys, Thanks. this has been fun and I will, I will include, Thank you. yeah, absolutely, brother. I will include all the, all the details about how to find you guys and keep listening, folks. I'm going to bring these guys back. I'm going to be bugging them all the time to get, get to pick their brains. So thanks for joining us. I am out. Well, that does it for this episode of the Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, 
Thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. <laughs>